Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast. LR here with Benji for the European Championships Men's Road Race Recap, as well as the Tour of Scandinavia Roundup, the Women's World Tour Race that finished today as well. But as always, this show is brought to you by Zwift. Tom Pidcock is heading to Zwift tomorrow to relive his heroics on Stage 12, the afterworld stage of this year's Tour de France, and he wants you to join him and hundreds of other Zwifters. It's a social ride, and he's right, but he's riding up the up to Zwift. Um, so, you know, it'll be as hard as you want to make it. He's riding at 6 p.m. British. Uh, standard time and 7 p.m. European time. I had some concerned listeners call in and say, Ella, there is no such thing as British summer time. But Tom <laughs> at Zwift said BST, 6 p.m. BST, and I get poetic license with the Zwift reads. So I'm saying it's British uh, stand, no, summertime. I've forgotten what I said. British summertime tomorrow, <laughs> 6 p.m. in the UK, US obviously be a bit earlier, depending on where you are, East Coast, West Coast, and Australians. Not a great time, but maybe if you want to get up early. Well, anyway, uh, I need to correct her. I think you said British Standard Time, and I think British Summertime is the real one. I think that's the real deal here. Which one is it? Which one actually British exists? Summertime is existing, I think. All right. We'll <laughs> see about that. <laughs> anyway, um, well, someone will know. So if you want to head to Zwift, you can go to the Zwift dot com for free seven day trial or sign up to the event if you're already on Zwift via the link in the description down below it should be a good one fun one uh and yeah it's good to see Tom Pickcock on Zwift but anyway European champs it was a sprint parkour last year was the Avonapol trying to attack but couldn't get rid of Cobrelli it was actually a really good race had like Pagacha here she in good shape uh Klosnifra, really nice race this year as i said sprint stage yeah there was a couple of climbs early but it was in germany and it's just finishing on a circuit flat one in munich with a sort of uh something that looked like the arc de triomphe a big turn in <laughs> with one kilometer to go like a huge um sweeping 180 degree turn which would prove decisive at least i think uh but who we have here melier for belgium no philipson jakobsen for the Netherlands, Italy have brought uh, a few sprinters, Milan, uh, Mozzato, Viviani, Dainese. Uh, France had Demar, uh, they'd ride for, even though they have Lecoq and Hofstetter. Mercus here, but didn't have a sprinter. Um, and they were the main favourites. I mean, Germany home race had Ackermann, Bauhaus and Co. And yeah, they were the main riders. Oh, Bennett as well, I guess, I guess here. But it kind of... It was one of these interesting races, Benji, where you see all these different riders thrown together, no training, probably no prep, never done a lead up together, mainly outside of national events. And you see how they, like, for example, first one, there's a break. I think Switzerland represented Belgium using Dries de Bont 
as brake control rather than 1600 to go. Like that sort of thing was surprising to me when I think of Shelter Price last year with Melier or whoever it was, Philipson, Philipson, he did their like 600 meter punch. Exactly. It's true. And that's the intriguing aspect here. Like a team like Belgium might show up with three riders that at their original trade team do the same exact role in a sprint train. I think Idris van Hestel has also done sprint leadouts for a team of Total back in the day as well for Bonifazio, I think, if I recall correctly. But is that the same as there is a bonds quality at Alpecin, for example? I'd say on paper, no. But it's intriguing to see how these national coaches would put these riders together and get something going like that. You did mention Switzerland in the breakaway, a vital aspect because it's like the one team that doesn't really have a sprinter here and the one team that would eventually try and get away before the actual final sprint with Stefan Bissiger in some like wide corner. He goes on the left side, gets a bit of a gap, but like there's 75 teams in this race that are going to try and win the sprint here. So obviously that Bissiger move is not going to make, uh, make anything happen here, but we often saw Slovenia at the front of the peloton. Like, do they have Mezgech here? Or, like, how... They seemed very willing to control stuff. Jakob Primozic. <laughs> that's, like, next level. Like, it's Primoz? It's a 23-year-old sprint, yeah, sprinter version of Primoz. I don't know. It's just trying to get the front. Uh, Mezgech looked like they're on the action, uh, option. Novak, yeah, not suited to this course. One of the, the other big riders here that they have. Um, and to be honest, it was coming down to a sprint. Like France were from 10Ks to go using a lot of resources to control. There were narrow sections on this circuit. Ackerman even crashed into a, uh, I think, a barrier at one point. So he wasn't able to contest the sprint. Bauhaus was in the sprint but was nowhere eventually and yeah france controlling demar wanting to be kept safe his lead out last man normally is over on the other side at italy and we were thinking who are they going for it was dinese that italy would go for so bisca brought back and shuffling netherlands were keeping uh with like uh van enden and other and Hul and echoff particularly echoff in the last three kilometers were keeping them safe but then it kind of be van poppel and jakobsen surfing like we've seen van poppel doing a lot this year himself and italy they come forward 1500 they've got dinese who he won a giro stage but he's just not the all-out burner that a demar uh, jakobsen Merlier is he sort of has to profit off the draft come late wait for someone to go too early make a mistake they're going for him benji and Ghana does a huge lead out to that 1K big turn. I thought for sure they were going to lose the wheel. You could almost get a 25-meter gap, Trenton could have, if you lost yep. the wheel there. Because no, like they almost did inadvertently, but then they just stuck to the plan. I was surprised no team tried that tactic with Jakobsen here. Exactly. That's also an aspect here that I found very intriguing looking at the corner in action. And I will say when it comes to Italy... I kind of had a feeling that they weren't going all out for Dainese. I felt like I never believed in any way that Viviani would actually do a lead out for Dainese. I think they were trying to position both of those riders and sprint with both riders in the end and then see where both will end. Kind of the the one Tour de France strategy of two, three years ago where they had two riders sprinting at the same time. That kind of thing is what I expected for Italy to happen because again, Viviani doing a lead out, meh, not fucking happening in a race like this. And... You mentioned the corner. They go into this corner. Ganas have he has done that significant pull. 
He's kind of pulling off, going into the corner, while Trenton takes the inner corner around him, and therefore he pushes ahead of him. But Ganna decides to, like you mentioned, not open up the gap, the opposite of the strategy you propose, and basically sits on the wheel of Trenton to hold the train together behind the corner to keep that train going. Again, yeah, what if Ganna lets the gap go? What if Ganna says, okay, I'll, I won't take the wheel of Trenton, Let's see what other teams take control here and take that wheel. Do you think they made a mistake not giving Trenton a try at 1K to go after that corner? I swear Trenton's Trenton is always kind of good racing for Italy. World Champs 2019, European Championships, maybe the one Nizzolo one. I can't remember. Uh, he in yeah. a circuit course. I always remember him being pretty solid, and he was really, really good today. And Italy looked great until it turned into a bit of a disaster where they have about five riders. It's 800 meters to go. And I'm like, okay, like we should probably start cycling through the riders here. Ghana, who's slotted behind Trenton, like, I mean, Ghana's great, great track rider, great time trial rider. Does he know what he's doing in a lead out? Maybe not. Um, he doesn't really have to do it very often like in a proper pure sprint stage. He's not asked to do that often at Ineos, but yeah, slotting in behind Trenton when he isn't able to take a further pull and then Trenton pulls off and he pulls off is probably not what you'd want ordinarily. You'd normally just pull off afterwards doing his pull and not get in the way. Guarnieri's next, the last man normally for FDJ. And I don't know if the corner cooked him, the big sweeper where you have to accelerate late. Um, I don't know, but honestly, he he couldn't pull like he was in the wind for about three, four seconds. But during that time, Edward Turns for Belgium has just come up the side. So Guarnieri was going nowhere. And, okay, we'll talk about lead-out man in a second. Finish the recap. Turns goes. Merlier jumps early. Van Poppel slots onto Merlier's wheel. He's got Jakobsen in his wheel. He then sprints to the right-hand side of Merlier, tries to overlap, leaves a pocket behind Merlier. Jakobsen sprints into the pocket and just absolutely destroys everybody with Demar sprinting off his wheel. So Jakobsen, yeah, too fast. Merlier maybe jumps a little bit early. Demar comes late and comes second. Merlier third. Van Poppel fourth in the photo. Beats his uh, normal sprinter, Sam Bennett, who came fifth. Mez gets sixth. sixth. Viviani, as Benji said, wasn't there to do lead-out duties. He came seventh. Christoph eighth. Aberastri ninth. Pedersen tenth. Uh, Dainese eleventh. And Bauhaus all the way down in, in 18. So, yeah. Uh, Jakobsen takes on... European champs jersey, Benji, Avengers Renko last year. And, I mean, him with Van Poppel, it's just, I, he just looked unstoppable today. What is amazing to me is that when the European champ starts, I say to myself, I want every single person in this race that has a national champions jersey on his shoulders to lose this race. Because otherwise, we never see the national champions jersey the entire year through. So I was... Yeah, I was rooting against Belgium, let's be honest about it, because if Merlier wins, we don't see a Belgian National Championships jersey for the entire year, and that's not something I want to see happen. We had it with Nizzolo, we had it with Colbrelli, and having it with Merlier, I was not okay with that. So having Jakobsen in this race, the fastest sprinter on paper at the start here, he was going to be the significant favorite when they went to the line. Van Poppel is indeed a good lead-out. And in this specific situation, like when I saw the lead-out initially, I was like, what has Van Poppel done here? He he kept the wheel of Merlier and then Jakobsen kind of sprints out of the wheel. But you've got to 
a better take on that, right? Well, for starters, he's navigating Jakobsen to get into that position in the first place. I haven't mm-hmm. seen a helicopter shot from the the arch. I'm not sure if it exists. Which, And if you focus in on Van Poppel, I presume he's in front of Jakobsen navigating uh, Jakobsen to be in the right position, which is on Merlier. We know Merlier might jump early. And he's probably the second fastest pure sprinter here. So he's doing that for starters, which is almost the most important job. Like if he pulls off, at before the sprint even starts, but he's put Jakobsen on Melvier's wheel, Jakobsen's still going to win anyway. Uh, yeah, he still wins anyway. Uh, maybe DeMar pushes him from the draft. Probably not. Uh, but then what he does as well is, and he's done this a lot, because Van Poppel is decent sprinter in his own right, he will then do his full max sprint and kind of slingshot his sprinter into Melvier's draft whilst is going early. So his other option is, and he's kind of just stay in the draft of Merlier for as long and long and long and long as possible and then pull off and then be burnt. And then Jakobsen's kind of at a point of deceleration or not accelerating and has to accelerate into a gap that rather than being dragged into it. It's hard to explain. Um, but yeah, I, maybe I'm imagining it, but I think he did a really good job of that, pushing Jakobsen into that pocket and then Jakobsen does the rest. I mean, Jakobsen probably winning anyway. Um, but I think... It is interesting with Van Poppel, like I think at UAE Tour, maybe the first or second sprint stage, I said, holy shit, Bora Hansgrohe have got this right in a big way with Danny Van Poppel. Some of the leadouts Van Poppel was doing in leadout tour was like better than what Mercury did for Bennett in 2021 UAE with a lot of pure sprint stages. And then it's continued. And then Eschborn, I don't know where he came. That was where Bennett has won a race this year. Uh, I think... Like the lead out from Van Poppel, he came fifth there. Like he's finishing late, late in these stages. Um, But an interesting signing in that he was kind of a classic sprinter himself under, you know, he's just turned 29. It's the opposite end of the spectrum, Benji, to Lotto signing Guarnieri on a, I think, a two year, who's 34, has been a last man for a long time. And on paper has the experience as a last man, but I'm not convinced Jonathan Milan, the 20-something-year-old at Bahrain with the right coaching, couldn't be a better last man than Guarnieri next year, even though, like, if I'm Jonathan, if you're Jonathan Milan, you know, he could be a good sprinter in his own right. He's a decent sprinter, but, like, he's never going to be top sprinter, famous last words. Yeah. Is it better to try and convert someone earlier when they're still a decent sprinter than go with a tried and tested lead out who might actually be on the tail end of their career? That's a very good question. We often also see next to that, we talk about Milan here in this specific scenario, Merku, now Quickstep is trying with Peterson. These riders all seem to have a history when it comes to track. Is there a correlation with how good a lead out can be? with their history on the track cycling discipline, for example. That's also something very intriguing to my personal opinion. But you were certainly right that it seems to be different to how teams approach which leadouts they sign. And with Gornieri, in my opinion, last year he was the weaker link on... Well, this year he was the weaker link on Groupama when it comes to the leadout. Today he was the weaker link as well when it comes to Italy in that leadout. Yes, we spoke about Gana slotting into the wheel of 
of Trentin. And that certainly has an impact on the on the lead out of the Italians today, because two riders going off the front at the same time means that your third rider is next to the other riders instead of ahead of them when going forward from that point onward. So small difference there, but again, a four second pull, I think is what I counted when it comes to Guarnieri. Yes, that corner might have cooked him, like you mentioned, but that's not the lead out you're looking for in well, a yeah, rider. There's corners in sprints. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there's going to be more corners in sprints in the future because, uh, well, the UCI tends to have a lot of corners in the last kilometer of sprint stages. But when it comes to... Um, the it's possible of- also Ganna fucked him over. That's maybe played in a little bit, but he looked kind of nah. cooked in the wheel. Yeah. I, I'm not 100% on board with the Ganna fucked him over situation. I feel like the, the speed gradually went up from that corner. Now, we did see, for example, the team of Belgium also doing a lead out here with Von Lerberg. And he's a rider that I've also had criticism on when it comes to his lead outs in the past. As he always, it, it was always not 100% perfect. And you kind of need 100% perfect lead outs if you want to drop your sprinter off at the right time to make sure they win. Today, Von Lerberg brings the Belgian sprinter earlier to a situation where he has to launch early. Is that because Von Lerberg, von, wow, I ruined that name and I'm Belgian. Can't von even Lerberg. say it. <laughs> good old Bert was at the front and... I always call him Bert <laughs> <laughs> well Tone was on the front before Bert was on the front and is that because Turns went off too early that Van Lerberg had to off too early as well oh, Turns was good I, th- yeah, I thought Turns was, was good was he too strong that he burned wow. Van Lerberg I mean if, if... If you get cooked on the wheel at 60, 65 k's an hour on the flat as a last man, then you're not a good last man. Like that's literally the job description is to hold the wheel and then be able to do a three hundred meter pull or two fifty meter pull after sitting in that wheel. Like that is the job. Um, but yeah, like Bert ain't it. I'm sorry to say, Quick Step. I've been trying to make Bert be a leader man. I don't. I don't see it personally. Um, but yeah. Anyway, they'll keep. They, I think they'll keep trying. They even extended him. Um, it is as someone who tries to quantify things in cycling a little bit, leadouts and classics. But leadouts is really, really difficult to do. Yeah. Like the Giro Demar, this Giro where Demar, Demar was back. What percentage of that is Demar is on better shape than last year? What percentage of that is Single Dam? and Scotson setting them up really well. What percentage of it is Guarnieri? I don't know. It's really hard to to quantify that, especially if you don't have all their power files for the entire race. Um, it's really, really difficult. I would say it's it's something people need to be aware of, and I think Dowsett said this before, where like just because the sprinter doesn't finish it off because the sprinter's not good enough to win, doesn't mean the lead out was bad. Now, that also applies in reverse. Jakobsen's won a lot of races this year with no yeah. lead out. Um, yeah. So that also applies in reverse. But for example, like Guarnieri, is he better than Dan McClay because Arno Demar is better than Nasser Buani? I would say no. I would say Dan McClay's five years younger, I think, and is often doing a lot of it himself. And it's just Demar's better than Muani. And yep. McClay gets around classic circus better. But Guarnieri seems to be hotter on the market. Now, maybe Archaic and McClay and what I'm talking is relevant. But 
and it's just something to bear in mind. And and I I think it's really really hard to quantify last men and their impact. I think there's also the aspect that your perfect lead out, the blueprint of your perfect lead out, also depends on the blueprint of the sprinter. There are different types of sprinters. Uh, a Caleb Buin is. Not the, the bulkiest of sprinters can't push his way through a sprint in the same way that Merlier did. We saw that in the Benelux Tour 2020, for example, where they were riding against each other and Merlier took the upper hand in those sprints because Ewan couldn't move forward in those sprints, didn't have that maneuverability through riders in the same way that Merlier did. While Ewan does have that kick on an uphill sprint, for example, but that's not really relevant to the, to the lead out here. I just want to say that when it comes to Caleb Ewan, I feel like Lotto is looking for a sprint train for, for Caleb Ewan, and I feel like what they should be looking for is a pilot. Yeah, I think the like they tried that with Du Bois, right? And one of the sprints in the Giro they got right was where they yeah. had the guy serve his back wheel and front wheel. But it is curious to me that, and listen, like I've been saying this now for a year because I made the video a year ago, like I did a whole <laughs> thing analyzing when Pascal Ackerman got stubbed for the tour, was he worse in 2021 than previous years or was his lead out regressing, Selig and Schwarzman? And I thought it was a bit of both, but really Schwarzman was struggling. And Lotto signed those two experienced guys. They then didn't get taken to the tour with Ewan and then they've signed another last man in Guarnieri who's 35. It's just kind of... Jan Svarensberg as well. Yeah, I don't know if that was for points or for bodies to go to classics. I don't know. But it is interesting. And also another thing to think about, like, for example, Guarnieri's 190, 80 kilos. Krieger's 184, 71 kilos. Quinton Hermans is like 176, 63 kilos. What, how much of a benefit, and Kluger's huge, like I don't know because you'd have to run a simulation maybe on a track with like – Ewan behind Du Bois. Du Bois is a bit mm-hmm. smaller, right? Um, you know, how much more does Ewan save behind a Du Bois versus a huge Guarnieri? Um, even Can if you... Guarnieri is not quite as good as uh, Du Bois. I don't know. You'd have to test it. Stupid question, perhaps. Can it test multiple riders behind each other in a wind tunnel? Or is that solely one rider? I think you can do... They do TTTs in a wind yeah, tunnel. right? I think yeah, so as well. so... That's a really, really good point. Like leadouts should be being tested in wind tunnels. You should be, I mean, before you even sign them, almost, you should be taken to the wind <laughs> tunnel and being like, uh, and have them sit. Maybe they're already doing that teams. I don't know. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's a good point. But I still think we haven't spoken that in-depthly about it. I, feel, I still think the most important factor of a leadout is the adaptability and the staying cool with that adaptability during the sprint. That's what made Merku so great, that he could see a situation in live action and react to it in a good way instantly. And we saw today that he tried that. He had Metz Pedersen on the wheel on the left side of the road when it comes to us viewing it, right side for the riders. And he saw Ghana and Guarnieri going out the front and so forth and had to maneuver in between two Italian riders. and. He tried to go around them to move forward. And he was kind of surprised that two Italian riders were going off at the front at the same time. And if only one went off the front, then Mespedesen is being brought into the perfect position by Merku here. So 
he adapted to that situation that is, from experience, one rider going off the front, but was impacted by the second rider that goes off the front. So if it's a normal situation where one rider goes off the front, I'm telling you that Mess Peterson is positioned perfectly in this sprint. I'll give you a perfect example of Merku's genius in that vein. Stage 15 last year, Tour de France to Carcassonne. Oh, 13, sorry, to Carcassonne. He was dropped off too early. Ballerini and co. It wasn't the perfect lead out. And he just waited. He's like, I'm not going. And Garcia Cortina (laughs) jumped and around a sweeping left bend. And that's what he was hoping for. And then he used his elbows, bang, straight on Garcia Cortina's wheel. I now have a second last man. Use that. He came out of then Garcia Cortina's wheel at like 200 and he came second and Cav literally just opened up the, the gap and maybe <laughs> braked a little bit to let Cav win. And it's that sort of adaptability where you're like, if I go at 500 and do 250, Cav's not winning. Um, and I'm also interested to see like Merku, will, you know, the narrative may be always taking a step back. Like I wonder, like has, has Merku's 30 second and one minute and 15 second power even gone down? Or is our sprints just random and a few bad things have happened? Or I don't know, like maybe his power has gone down. Maybe his decisions aren't as good. It's almost impossible to know. And maybe the teams are in a good place, I think, uh, to know, or a better place to know than, than us fans, unless they publish all the data. Um, but that was European chance, long discussion about leadouts. Um, I guess it was a sprint sprint race. Jakobsen, probably best sprinter in the world, looking like at the moment. Uh, Ewan, although Ewan wasn't allowed to participate for some reason in this race, which is unfortunate. Um, but Tour of Scandinavia, we will move to now a six-day stage race uh, that started in Denmark and Copenhagen and then finished in Norway. A lot of the stages were very, very similar. We had Demi Vollering here as probably the big GC favourite, second at the Tour de France, Famavec Zwift, just coming off the back of that um, with uh, pretty good, with Blanca Vache, pretty good young SD Works team, uh, but also Mariana Voss, who was the best all-round sort of stage rider in the Tour de France Fanvex, which was here for Jumbo Visma. But a lot of the stages, Benji, were pretty similar. Like, even, yeah, they were just kind of misc sprints for Voss. Yeah, it was basically a Mariana Voss festival at the Tour of Scandinavia this week. And it was really intriguing, to be honest, because it started off with two stages in a similar tone. There were some attacks in the first two stages to spice and things up throughout, but... Let's be honest, it really came down to the final sprint outside of a volring attack with 14k to go on stage one, for example, which never really went anywhere. But the final sprint was mainly intriguing because it ended up being the first two stages, two situations where a competitor launches early and Mariana Voss is able to benefit from that situation. In stage one, we see Trek doing a lead out with Hosking for Didriksen, Danish rider on scandinavian terrain so as a consequence that is likely a decision that that is the order of the train in this first stage and hosking does a lead out that is finished early to the point where didrickson has to launch at 300 meters to go and basically indirectly gives a lead out to mariana Voss. and i want to throw a question to you while we're at it when it comes to that do you think that sprinters sometimes don't make the decision to say okay let's look behind me let's see if there's a a way where I can slot in someone's wheel instead of going too early at 300 meters to go? Or do you think that's too late to make that decision? 
I think they're really, really worried about being swamped and they mm-hmm. like they're risking being boxed in. And if you don't open up, you get shuffled back. People are coming past you with more momentum. You then have to reaccelerate. I think that's what they're trying to avoid. But yes, I think if you're not Voss or Vivas, then if you go at that point, realistically, your chance of winning is is almost tiny and probably lower than doing what you suggested which is hoping you can take a bit of draft and then come back out of it so yeah it is something that i guess especially if there's more space in some of these sprints yeah i'd like to see a little bit more when it comes to stage two it was a bit more chaotic uh to the point where we had fallen launching the sprint at like 250 meters fallen from uh fdg and we saw her going on the right side of the road and Voss basically used her as a lead out and Voss ended up winning two stages in a row. So we had one stage win on stage one, two stage win on stage, on stage two. Megan Jastrap doing pretty well in the first two stages, by the way. Just wanted to mention that. Second on stage one and fourth on stage two. And then the third stage is where it gets interesting because that's a more hilly terrain. And we notice that the group is thinning out and that everything kind of becomes a bit more difficult for a team like Yumbo to control. But in the end, it... Despite attacks from multiple riders, it really comes down to a, a reduced group sprint again. And this is a scenario where Mariano Voss was in a terrible position with like 600 meters to go. And if we look at the scenario of that race, in like the span of 150 meters, she moves up on the right side of the road, past like 10, 15 riders, I think, slots into fourth, fifth wheel in the sprint and basically is able to sprint from that point onwards at the good distance, like 200 to 150 meters to go. Cecilio Turpolutovic is uh, the better sprinting competition here. And would we have said that two years ago? Turpolutovic being a uphill sprint competitor of Mariano Voss because she significantly improved her sprint in the last two years, right? Well, yeah, and she beat Voss. Is It was a pretty punchy finish in the Tour de France yeah. stage. She won um and came from a better position maybe but yeah her uphill sprint is probably her strongest point that doesn't mean she's going to win flesh alone i mean she's i think podium did before but it really her her best is like 400 meters six to seven percent seems to be like the best thing for her a little bit less Voss has yeah. the advantage. And a little bit more, maybe Nivea Doma has the advantage. But that seems to be the real the real sweet spot for her. But yeah, I'd echo what you said on Yastrav as well. Like she is hugely talented. She's only 20. She won World Champs Juniors uh road race in 2019. She then um has been on two years at DSM. You probably haven't seen her getting her own results because she's but in the unbelievably stacked train of Vibas where she it goes I think it's been um Vibas, Cool, Georgie, and then maybe and then maybe Yastrap. So like at women's tour she was in the train, but now she's had a couple of sprints for her own result, looking really good. She's out of contract according to PCS. I would expect they extend her and she moves up in the hierarchy, maybe even Second last with Cool the Sprinter next year and Yastrab and Georgie around that last or second last. So she's just really one to watch, hugely talented and, and super young too. Yeah, certainly agree with that. And then we go to stage four, which is another opportunity for Mariana Voss. But this is where it gets interesting because 
we see a situation created towards the end of the stage where we have two riders at the front, Alice Barnes and I think it was Manly that were two riders at the front. And we see a few riders bridging towards those two riders in the last, I think it was five to 10 kilometers, if my mind serves me right. Tomasi from UAE, Koster, which is the initial person to close that move down of those two also, but she's a teammate of Mariana Voss, which is the interesting aspect here. And she also does that with, I think it was Chloe Hosking that also entered that move with Anushka Koster to get to the front there. So these five riders are at the front now, a situation where the gap is, I think, 10 seconds with three kilometers to go. In the last kilometer, you can literally see both of the groups together on a helicopter view. And I think Yambo made a mistake here. I think if Anushka Koster doesn't bridge to the front two riders with two other riders in their wheel, this first group is completely done for, and Koster can be very important and vital in closing down those two riders at the front instead of bridging towards them with other riders. And as a consequence, we see Anushka Koster sprinting against four riders in the front group, and we see Voss beating everybody in the back. And they all finish in the same time, but Voss loses the stage, and if... If Yambo plays that differently, I think Voz wins this stage. And I think that's a, a missed chance on a four in a row for the team, which is kind of mad if you think about it. Four in a row for Voz, because like these other riders at Yambo are doing work, but Voz is a one-man army, one-woman army. This kind of thing happens more often than we think. We, we, we even saw it almost on the same day in Arctic ranks. If Bistrom and Hagen, one of the two, pulled for Hermans and Uhl on the hilltop finish, one of those two wins the stage. Yeah. Because they catch, they already, Uhl and Hermans group, with the messing around and no domestique, took 16 seconds back from Lafay in the last K. They lost by three seconds. So you do the maths. Um, there is no maths to be done. This sort of thing <laughs> happens often where, and it's kind of like, oh, we're represented in front. So that's better. But is it? Like, it's not really. Now, maybe, yeah, the maybe it's better not to pull the rider back and pull. That's the sort of thing we see satellite riders brought back too late in stage racing. And this is sort of the more in, well, unique scenario where it's like a late sort of, uh, a late sort of move like that. But yeah, it's, you can't begrudge them too much. I mean, Voss still cleaned up a lot of the stages. But yeah, the next stage, Unfortunately, Vollering was out the big GC favourite, so Ludwig then became the big GC favourite for a hockey stick stage, Unipuerto to Norviel. I probably butchered that. 11.1 Ks, 5.8%. But the real climb, it's like the Norway climb in Tour of Norway, 8.8 Ks, 6.7%. So the average is... The real climb is 8.8 Ks, 6.7%. And so that also means if you do not have big separation with that flat section, the last three kilometers, I think it is, it's easier for riders to come back, troops to come back, um, and could have a small sprint. And that's what we had with Ludwig beating Liana Lippert, uh, Julie van der Velde for Plantapura. She's quite good, coming third on 31. And then Josie Nelson. Don't know why I made the British rider Dutch. Josie Nelson. Uh, Alexandra Manley, fifth. Then Dronova, who's been quite good for Roland. Anisha Koska, Pepper Camp, Brand, and Neve Bradbury in that group of uh, 10. So Bradbury was, she finished in the top 10 on GC. Yep. She went into sixth. Manley loses a spot, but she stays in third on 44 seconds. So quite a versatile rider. 
Yes, certainly. I think we mentioned her um, quite a few times in the Women's Tour recaps. Uh, she did great on that uphill finish to Black Mountain. I'm, I'm always having difficulties with the colors of these mountains, okay? I swear there's like a green mountain climb in the Tour de Langkawi. We've got a Black Mountain in the Women's Tour. Like We've got colored mountains everywhere. Mountain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why do they do this? Anyway, when it comes to this stage, let's not forget, let's not do Belgium erasure here. Let's not forget the wonderful works of Shadi Bosaid on that final climb. Really impressive Thomas Deek work by her on that final climb. Yes, she's Belgian. Yes, maybe I'm mentioning it because she's Belgian, but I feel like it was properly notable there. I also noticed, and uh, in a way that Katrin Alrud has not had a, a great season so far, but she was top 10 at Ruta del Sol, and as a consequence of this stage, top 10 of Scandinavia again. So it seems like those mountain stages are the ones where she's still strong, but I, I kind of expected at the start of the season to see a top 5 in the Tour of Scandinavia for Alrud. So low-key disappointed there, perhaps that's just my, my pre-race expectations being uh, too significant. But we're going to the final stage, and after that, uh, five stages so far and it's once again a, a potential opportunity for Mariana Voz and Yama played differently now after stage four they realized okay well I don't know if they realized it in that stage they had a tactical mistake that led to Voz not winning that stage in my personal opinion in this final stage Anushka Koster does a reverse lead out to the point where it looked like Anushka Koster might have had a chance of winning this but the difference was so limited in the last 400 meters that Voz was worried, and Voz moves up, and she basically initiates the sprint, not yeah, together with other sprinters, all at the same time. Behind Anushka Koster, Koster would not have made it, so it was a wise decision for Mariana Voz to start that sprint there, and she sprints past her teammate and basically wins the sprint again. So that is four stage wins out of six for Mariana Voz, and it could have been five if they uh, played stage four better. So that's pretty mad, right? <laughs> Yeah, carrying that shape from the Tour de France, incredible. Um, and but there was just a lot of stages that suited her as well. Um, I'm surprised there wasn't like a big proper break that won by like six minutes on one of the sta- on yep. this final stage, actually. But Ludwig wins GC ahead of Lippert. She's had a good last couple of months. Cecilia Ludwig, um, Manly third, Thronova fourth, Bradbury moves up to fifth, Van der Velde loses two spots on the last stage, goes down to sixth, Costa Brand, Alarud, Magnaldi running out the top ten. And I know it's a it's a curious race. It's like a, after the Tour de France Femmevex, we've straight into a six stage race. Um, and it seemed like, well, like for example, Trek Segafredo, they didn't, they sent Cordon, sent Cordon Rago, who was at Tour de France, but like uh, Van Dyke and Longo Borghini out. And Van Dyke's been pretty vocal on Twitter uh, saying there needs to be some more time trials in women's cycling. Yeah. And I think she said it's like one in Women's World Tour all year. And I think we we had enough sprints here. Like we really did. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it, it would have been more interesting for the race if there was a TT sure. before the climb. And then the question is can Van Dyke hold on to her advantage or Royce against Ludwig on the climb. I think Lucinda Brand is a name that I that I would note for this perhaps. And I think when it comes to there being a champion, I think I spoke to Grace Brown somewhere at the start of the season about this issue because she won the Australian Championships ITT, but 
there's not a single raise in her calendar this year where she can actually wear it, which is like, what's the point of winning the Australian ITT championships if you can't show off the jersey that you win, which is a really sad aspect. So I agree there should be more time trials in, in women's world tour. Should it have fitted in the Tour de France? I kind of feel like the Tour de France fam should have a time trial, but I'm not necessarily against it not having been there this year. That makes sense? Yeah, or maybe like probably not a TTT. Like TTTs are mixed on. Like the Tour de l'Avenir has, usually has one every year. Complete disgrace. Like <laughs> it, it's actually horrendous. Ooh, this year. It has two. Okay. It's like people don't realize this is going to be shocking maybe to people. A lot of people in cycling don't watch the races. Like, really, and we're talking, they don't even watch World Tour races. People that make decisions on signings, they don't watch all the races, World Tour races. They're certainly not watching every minute of Tour de l'Avenir. It's like, did you get third on GC? Great, congrats. It's like, well, he got third on GC because he was on, insert Northern European team, where they're all on a really good TT equipment and the whole team is really strong. And the kid that came eighth could have come fifth, but he's on a team with four riders and they never yeah. practice a TT. And, and it's it's so stupid for a development race to not to have a TTT. That being said, TTs and TTTs, I think would make the Tour de France fam a bit more, particularly in the Van Vleuten era, it could level things up a little bit. So I think they may restore competitive tension in those races. Um so maybe we'll look to see if they're introduced next year. Certainly individual time trials then needs to be a couple well, more at least next year. When it comes to a team time trial, I'm not sure it would restore <laughs> because the top Trek. two riders in the Tour de France one were Dutch. Oh yeah, you know, I'm stupid. It's in the Lavenier, it's Bogini country, so I was gifted. confused for a second. Because uh, yeah. in Tour de Lavenier, it's in country-based, right? Here it's in trade team-based, yeah, yeah. obviously in Tour de France farm, so <laughs> my bad. I was completely off the rails there for a second. I thought, okay, the Dutch team's going <laughs> to... <laughs> Anyway, no. that was Tour of Scandinavia. Wrap up. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we'll be back with our Vuelta España preview dropping early uh, this coming week. We wait. We have to wait for squads to get announced. There's been like two conf- confirmed squads. It's not like the Tour, unfortunately, where they're announced a bit early. It's about Bora and maybe AG2R have been announced. And UAE. 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 I, I can't wait to talk about UAE. Hold that. Hold that. We're going to talk about Ayuso. Let's go, baby. <laughs> Come on. I love Ayuso. I actually, actually got some thoughts on it. Uh, I think it could be good. Anyway, stay tuned for that. There's a little teaser for the World's for Spanish preview. We'll see you with that early in the week. Ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 